at Coast Bible Church, uh, we baptize children. And uh, some object to that. Uh, there are some Christians and some churches that object to the baptism of children on the grounds that uh, children don't know what they're doing. On the grounds that uh, children or, or a kid could not possibly know the, uh, the, the, the cost that they are making by making a step of baptism. I know of many churches and many Christian pastors who would deny some of the kids we baptize today on the grounds that they're not old enough to know what they're doing. But you see, that flies in the face of Scripture. Notice what Peter said in the book of Acts chapter 2. He said this, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Notice this in verse 39. For the promise, the promise that Peter is giving to them today is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Faith, Repentance, baptism, these are things that a child can express. The Bible says a child can do this. Peter said himself that this promise, this hope, it's not just for you, it's for your children and for all who would call upon the name of the Lord. Children were baptized in Bible times. The Bible indicates this time and again. In fact, the Bible indicates that whole households were baptized together. In Acts 16, verse 15, it says she, Lydia, and her household were baptized. Later on in Acts 16:33, it says, and immediately he, the Philippian jailer, and all his family were baptized. And later in 1 Corinthians 1:16, Paul writes, yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. In each of these instances, we have an entire family that gets baptized in water in expression of their faith in Jesus Christ. And then finally, Acts 18.8, it says, Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, he believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, his fellow countrymen, hearing, believed, and were baptized. That includes children. These household remarks, these family remarks, Peter says the promise is to you and your children. So long as they can hear the Gospel, so long as they believe the Gospel, Peter says, and the rest of the testimony of Scripture says, you ought to be baptized. If a child can hear the Gospel, and he can, and if a child can understand the Gospel, and they can, then they, when they ask to be baptized, upon believing in Jesus Christ, when they ask to be baptized, we ought to honor that request. Far be it from us to say no. Now, some, again, some churches, some pastors would turn them away. They would say, sorry, your child is too young. Sorry, your child doesn't understand what they're doing. Sorry, she is not able to count the cost. The Bible says nonsense. The Bible knows nothing of keeping baptism away from children who know and understand the Gospel and who have believed in Jesus as their Savior. Amen? If a child claims to believe in Christ and has a conviction to be baptized, who are you? to stand in their way. 
Jesus said, it would be better if a millstone were strung around my neck than that I keep a child from obeying Him. Than, than that I cause another child to sin. And if my son one day, Lord willing, comes to me and says, Dad, I believe in Jesus and I want to be baptized, who am I to deny him that? Be better if I was drowned in the depths of the sea, Jesus says. I applaud these children and these young people for their obedience to the Lord today. But perhaps greater still, I want to applaud the parents who recognize that their child has a personal relationship with God. One that is between their child and God. And inasmuch as you're teaching them about God, you also, you parents who have uh, encouraged your child to be baptized this morning, inasmuch as you're teaching them about God, you also have the wherewithal to stand out of the way when the child makes a courageous decision like baptism. Many parents would step in the way. Say, no, not yet. I pray that that wherewithal would continue. And if God calls them to the mission field one day, that you would not stand in their way. If God calls them to work with the poor or the sick, that you would not stand in their way. If God calls them to be a minister, to take on some other kind of service to our Lord, whatever it be, may you always be there to cheer them on and not stand in their way. Cheer them on in their faith and support them unequivocally in obeying the Lord. Who knows where God might take them. I pray, my prayer for these children and young people today is that the boldness and the bravery that they showed in publicly declaring their faith to others would carry over for a lifetime of courageous living. The title, um, which brings me to the title of my message today. The title of my message today is Better is Boldness Today Than a Lifetime of Indecision. Better is Boldness Today than a lifetime of indecision. Our children, our young people, have shown that courage. They've shown that boldness. But you know, such boldness is a rarity today. Especially in an age of compromise and equivocation. In Jesus' time, there lived a group of people who they pretended to be bold, but in fact were cowards. They feigned courageous leadership, but in truth they were nothing but pretenders. I encourage you to grab a Bible. There's one in the pew back in front of you if you don't have one. And turn to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. As you're turning there, in Matthew 21, we find Jesus at the end of His life. And He's in the city of Jerusalem. And He's come to the temple area. He's come to a place that should be worshiping God. But instead, He's found nothing but evil and wickedness. He's found money changers. He's found merchants selling and making a profit off the sacrificial system. And there was a a group of men watching as Jesus did what we knew Him to do best. And that is, he, He began to overturn the tables. He began to drive out the money changers and the merchants. He said, get out of here. My Father's house is to be a house of prayer. And you've made it a den of thieves. And Jesus, He whisked them out. He pushed them out to the temple. And there was a group of men watching as Jesus did this. They were the religious leaders of Israel. They were the elders, the chief priests, the scribes. You might know them as the Pharisees. Most of the Jews revered these men. Most of the Jews thought them to be men of great boldness and renown. And these religious leaders, they, i got to say, they did nothing to dissuade the people's perceptions. They embraced them. They embraced the accolades. They said, yeah, keep it coming. And so, 
in a public display of their own notoriety, they walked toward Jesus after He had cleansed the temple and they said this to Him. Matthew 21, beginning in verse 23. It says, Now when He came into the temple, Jesus, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted Him as He was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Authority? Authority to do what? Well, to throw out the money changers and the merchants, of course. The religious leaders looked at Jesus and they said, Hey, we're in charge of the temple proceedings. Who are you to usurp our authority? We're in charge. Who gave you the right to change the rules? to modify our regulations, to drive off the men who we were making a little profit off of. Here we have a classic case of what is known as territorialism, right? Territorialism, big word, right? Uh, it actually has a variety of meanings in historical context, but it can mean just the, the desire to keep your own territory, right? To hold your own. This is my turf. This is my baby. I call the shots, not you. Are you territorial? What are you territorial about? Are there parts of your job where you refuse to let another person give you input or suggestions? Are you in charge of a, maybe a ministry or a project of some kind and you are too stubborn to take any input or advice from someone else? Are you concerned with your own authority or are you concerned with doing the job right? see, the religious leaders of Israel, they didn't care about their duty to preserve the worship of the temple. All they cared about was their authority. All they cared about was their territory. And they didn't like Jesus getting in the way. But Jesus was not a man who let another man's pride go unchallenged. Notice what Jesus, how Jesus responds. He says in verse 24, But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing. Which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. Here's Jesus' question to them. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? Okay, Jesus says, I'll tell you why I cleared out the temple. I'll tell you why I moved the merchants and the money, money changers out. I'll tell you why I overturned the tables. But first, you need to answer me one question. The baptism of John, John the Baptist, where was it from? Was it from heaven or was it just a thing of man? By now, a crowd had probably gathered in the temple area. The temple was, not, was a very populous uh, place. The temple area, that is to say. And there would be many people teaching and, and, and performing sacrifice and being, being prepared to perform sacrifices. It was a, it was a, a, a very... Uh, There were many crowds gathered in the temple court in the temple area. And so by now, it's likely that a crowd had gathered around Jesus and the religious leaders. And Jesus, He employs a method by a man named Socrates a few hundred years prior to Him. He answers the question by giving a question. And He says, okay, I'll answer your question, but first, you answer me this. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? You see, when John was baptizing... John the Baptist, he was baptizing out in the Jordan River a few years ago before his death. And and Jesus was quite simply putting the question to those leaders, was that baptism a heavenly uh, 
objective or was it a man-made contraption? Was it a heavenly act or was it a man-made attempt at worship? Now, the interesting thing is that many people in the crowd who heard Jesus pose that question had probably been baptized by John the Baptist. If you go through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it says that a throng of people, many, many people, came from all the land to be baptized in the Jordan River by John. And even Jesus Himself was baptized by John. Thousands upon thousands of Jews just a few short years ago had been baptized, confessing their sins, repenting of their sins, and affiliating with the Lord God of Israel, recognizing Him as the Lord, and expressing their repentance for the awful things that they had done. But the pompous religious leaders, the ones who had received Jesus' question, they most certainly had not been baptized by John. Oh, they came to the Jordan all right. In fact, the Gospel, says, the Gospel of John says something interesting about when they came to the Jordan River. Look what it says. It says, now those, who were sent, uh, now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked Him, John the Baptist, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ or the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? It's fascinating that while thousands of people were being baptized in the Jordan, the Pharisees came out and they parked themselves on the bank of the river and they looked in and they said, By what authority? Do you do this? The same question they were asking Jesus. By what authority? This is our territory. We handle this. We handle all things spiritual. We handle all things religious. The people's spirituality is ours to decide. By what authority do you baptize, John? It never occurred to these religious leaders that the thousands of people, the thousands of Jews confessing and repenting of their sins might be a good thing for the nation. No, instead, they were only concerned with whether John had the right credentials to baptize. And now here we are, the same arrogant group of men, unconcerned that what Jesus just did in the temple, unconcerned that what Jesus just threw out of the temple might actually aid the worship in the temple, might actually help things. But these men weren't concerned with worship. They weren't concerned with the spirituality of their people. They weren't concerned with confession, with repentance, with faith in God. They were concerned with their own territory and their own authority. Jesus' question, though, was a tricky one for them. As, we, as we've said, many of these people had, uh, had already been baptized by John. And so when Jesus asked the question, the baptism of John, where was it from, from heaven or from men? These men took a moment of pause before they answered. And look what, they, look what they did in the middle of verse 25. It says, And they reasoned among themselves, saying, Well, if we say from heaven, then Jesus will say to us, Why then did you not believe Him? But if we say from men, well, we fear the crowds, the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. What a deliberation, huh? What a deliberation. I've said before, and it is, uh, it is said by one, uh, one man, that there are two kinds of leaders. There are two kinds of leaders. There is a thermometer kind of leader, and there is a thermostat kind of leader. A thermometer leader is one who tries to blend in with the temperature of the crowd. 
Whereas the thermostat leader is one who ignores the temperature in the room and instead sets the temperature to what it ought to be. A thermometer leader is one who takes opinion polls and adjusts himself or herself to the whims of others. But a thermostat leader is one who ignores the subjective whims of man and instead puts himself and others on a true course. The religious leaders of Israel, they were thermometer leaders. When Jesus asked them a simple question, they took a time out and they took the pulse of the room. They checked the wind. They looked around and they said, who's here? How would they respond? Would they want us to say heaven? Would they want us to say men? Back to the text. If we say from heaven, He will say to us, why then did you not believe Him? But if we say from men, well, we fear the multitude. For all count John as a prophet. Matthew says they reasoned among themselves. The Greek word dialogizomai, meaning to discuss or to argue, but most pointedly, it means to calculate. To be calculative in your decision. To think very, very critically and carefully before answering. And there was good reason for that. Because the Gospel of Luke, in Luke's account of this story, he says that the people would have stoned them had they answered that the baptism of John was from men. And so in their arrogance, they were capitulating to the whims of the people. And they were, they were taking the pole and they were going back and forth. These men were no leaders. They were thermometer leaders taking the pulse of those around them. Their arrogance had put them in a bind and not knowing how to answer, they chose not to answer at all. Look at verse 27. It says, So they answered Jesus and said, We don't know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. You're the religious leaders of Israel. So tell us. Was John's baptism from heaven or from men? We don't know. What do you mean you don't know? You're our elders. You're our priests. You're our spiritual leaders. Tell us, did John the Baptist act on God's behalf or was it a man-made contraption? We don't know. Cowards. That's what they were. They were cowards. We're in the throes of a presidential campaign. And we're evaluating candidates, aren't we? We're, here we are, more than a year away from the vote. And we've had how many debates in the, on the Republican uh, presidential debate? How many debates have we had? 27, there you go. Not quite that many, Scott, but close. Uh, it's amazing. And then you have, you have states vying for which state is going to vote first. I mean, we might as well uh, you know, elect a president and then start a campaign the next day, for crying out loud. That's how this nation is going. But uh, we're in the throes, a year, more than a year away, of a presidential debate. And we have many candidates vying for position. And uh, we're evaluating candidates for the highest office in the land. And I've been watching some of these debates. And I have to admit, there was one time I just I laughed out loud. I laughed out loud as I was listening to the debate. Uh, the reporter asked one of the candidates a question. And as is common among politicians, the candidate sidestepped the, the answer to that question. He totally dodged the answer. And so the reporter, feeling a little bit uh, uh, 
befuddled and frustrated with him, he posed the question again to the candidate. And this is what the candidate said. He said, quote, you get to ask questions and I get to answer the way I want. I thought to myself, you know, cross his name off the list. I'm Sorry, I said him. I should have said cross their name off the list. But anyway, I'm trying to be anonymous here and I don't want you to go home and look that up on Google. Here's the quote. You get to ask the questions and I get to answer the way I want. Could a politician speak any more truthfully of who they are sometimes? I mean, that's what they do. They dodge questions. They avoid answers. And, and this person actually said it. I am dodging the question. That's right. I'll answer the way I want to answer. I thought to myself, you've got to be kidding me. Be careful of people who do that. Be careful of people who dodge answering questions posed to them, who avoid, even though they have an answer, even though they have an opinion on the matter, who, who avoid it intentionally, that they might deceive, that they might shift the question, that they might do what the Pharisees did and just kind of sidestep the answer. Take a temperature of the room. See what answer might be popular. Shame on them. Ben Witherington writes, they're not really ignorant of John and his authority. They're simply unwilling to acknowledge it. You know, it's a good thing to be slow to speak. The Bible has high regard for people who are not quick with the tongue. But to never speak, especially when you know what is right, that is something our Lord has no time for. The Bible says in James, therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. And at least twice now, at least twice now, the religious leaders have been given a chance to recognize John's baptism as something that was from God. They had been given the chance when they walked out to the Jordan and they challenged John. And John challenged them back and said, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? They had a chance right then and there to renounce their territorialism, to renounce their authority, and to go down into those waters and repent of their sin. They chose not to. And they had a chance here. Jesus gave them another chance to answer the question, to answer it correctly. They had every opportunity to take that, opportunity, to take that chance, to lay hold of it, and to publicly identify with Christ. Our God gives second chances. Sometimes He gives third and fourth and fifth chances. He's patient. He's gracious. He wants you to turn to Him in faith and obedience. And I want to say to you today, don't miss those opportunities. I want to ask you the question, what is He asking of you today? What opportunity is He asking of you today? Today. Not tomorrow. Today. Is He asking you to become a Christian? To believe in Jesus for your salvation? Is He asking you to be baptized? To take a page from these children and young people and to obey Him in public declaration of your faith? Is God asking you to seek forgiveness from us, from your spouse, or from a friend, or from a family member? Is God asking you to repent of your sin? Maybe a sin that no one knows about. Is God asking you to spend more time with Him? Do you need to be intentional about setting aside time each day to pray and read His Word? I don't know what He might be asking you. I don't know your personal relationship with God. But the question is, will you listen? Maybe you said no, no, no in the past. Maybe you said no a thousand times. Or maybe you've said yes, but you failed to fulfill your vow. 
It's not too late. It's not too late. Boldness. Better is boldness today than a lifetime of indecision. You know, we, we've uh, come through this little story of Jesus, but many of us forget the parable that, that follows it. I wanted to read it just briefly. Take a look at the end of the story here in verse 28. Jesus actually concludes with a parable, and this is what He says. He says, what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And the son answered and said, I will not. But afterwards, he regretted it, and he went. Then he came to the second son and said, Likewise. And he answered, the son did, and said to him, I will go, sir. But he did not. Verse 31, Which of the two did the will of his father? Which of the two did the will of his father? And they said to him, the first. Isn't that a fascinating story? Two sons. One who says to the father, I'm not going. But later, over time, he regretted that answer. And he had a change of heart. And he went and he worked. He did his job. And then another son who said, yes, father, I'll go. I'll go right now. I'll go right now. Show me where the vineyard is. And yet, that son never went to work in the vineyard. Jesus poses the question. It's a simple one. Which son did the will of his father? And the people respond, and and even the scribes and the Pharisees respond, well, the first one did. What's the point? It's not too late. It's not too late. Better is one who says no, no, no to God a thousand times, but later says yes today. Than one who says yes, yes, yes to God a thousand times, but never fulfills his vow. Better is someone who says no, no, no for a lifetime and then comes to today and says yes and walks forward in their walk with the Lord. Better is that man than someone who says yes, yes, yes all their life and yet never, ever makes good on that decision. God is clear. The Scriptures are clear. There is always a second chance. A third, a fourth, a fifth chance. And it might be today for you. Notice what Jesus concludes with. He says, Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that even tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe Him. The history of the world is full of sinful people who have been saved by the blood of Jesus. Their past, let me say it clearly, their past matters not. Be they a member of the IRS tax group or be they a prostitute, their past matters not. If they would but turn to Jesus in faith, and live a life of obedience to God. You say, well, you don't know my past, Neil. You don't know what I've done. Your past matters not to me. It matters not to God. The Apostle Paul, he helped murder Christians before he was saved. And look what God did through him afterwards. He can do the same through you. Jesus said in verse 32, relent, relent, and believe. He was telling them to believe the message of John. And what was the message of John? To believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Read the early part of Acts 19. It says that John was baptizing them. Why? So that he could tell them about Jesus. So that he could tell them to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation. Acts 19, I believe it's verse 3. Take, take a page from the bravery of our kids from the bravery of our young people. And be bold. Be courageous. Publicly confess your faith to God. Publicly stand with Him. Today. I don't care what your past is. I don't care how many times you've said no. Today's the day to say yes. Amen? What are you going to say yes to? Do you need to become a Christian today? Believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you will be a Christian right there as you sit. Believe in your heart that Jesus is your Savior, the Giver of everlasting life, and you will be regenerated. You will be made a new person right now where you sit. You don't need me or anyone to, sh- to show you how. Read the Bible. Read John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you need to say yes to Jesus in faith? Do you need to say yes to Him in some other way? No matter how many times you've said no, Today's the day to say yes. Be bold. Be brave. Do what is necessary today as we began this message with the title, Better is Boldness Today Than a Lifetime of Indecision. Be bold this day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that we, regardless of where we've come from in our past, would be bold now would be bold and brave right now. God, You're tugging on our heart in some way. I don't know how, but for each person it's different. Some of us in the audience, we don't know You in faith. I pray, Lord, that Your Spirit would tug on their heart right now to believe in the name of Jesus for salvation. That they would do it right where they sit. For others of us, Lord, You're tugging on our heart. You're convicting us of sin. You're reminding us of who we need to ask forgiveness from. Maybe You're encouraging us to be baptized. We've never made that step of obedience to You. It's different for each one, Lord, but today, oh, I pray that we'd make that decision. Better is boldness today than a lifetime of indecision. And if we've said no a thousand times in the past, Lord, let it be finished once and for all today as we say yes to You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.